Good morning. This is uh, our worship service for July 5th of 2020. It is a wonderful weekend. We're celebrating the 4th of July uh, and giving thanks to God for the gift of our nation and for the blessings of this life, but most of all for the life that is in Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, we want to invite you to, uh, to tune in to us as we um, seek to serve God in our mission. We are a historic Presbyterian Church located in Mooresville, North Carolina. And in that location, uh, we are serving a growing area of the Lake Norman District of North Carolina. So if you're in this area and you would like to drop by and worship with us, you are always welcome. I want to turn to Psalm 46 and let us prepare our hearts for worship. Hear now the word of God. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And God is within her, and she shall not fall. God will help her, at break of day. Come and see the works of the Lord. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bows and shatters the spears. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This morning we're beginning a new study. It's on the letter of 1 John. It's, it's the first of three letters that John wrote, uh, what we think to be after he was released from the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. And so as we finish the seven letters, the, the first four chapters of Revelation, we I want to now turn to 1 John because it's there that we begin to really understand what it is that makes a person a Christian. And when you've asked that question, how do I know if I'm a Christian? Uh, reading 1 John allows you to understand whether you really have come to know the life that is in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want to invite you to hear the Word of God as we will read only four verses of chapter 1 of 1 John. And they deal with this whole business of who it is that gives life and what the life is. Therefore, I invite you to hear now the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
This is the word of God. Would you please pray with me as we study this word this morning? Our Father, we thank you for the great and glorious purpose that you have in saving us, in calling us from the darkness of this world into the light of Christ. And so as we study your word this morning and as we look upon it, open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to receive what John had seen and taught and beheld and held before him, that we too might know the one who gives life eternal and know what that life is about. Therefore, bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts that they may be acceptable to you, O God, our Redeemer. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. This past week, I went into a local store to find some glue and in finding that glue, I found a, an aisle that was filled with every kind of glue you could imagine. There was glue for pottery. There was glue for putting up tile in your shower. There was glue for putting down flooring in your house. There was glue to put together paper. There was general glue, specific glue, special glue. There was different strengths of glue. You had one level of glue that was guaranteed to glue things together, but then you turned and you saw two other levels of glue that had stronger bonding power or guaranteed a, a certain result that was different from just the general glue. It was all very disconcerting. Because as I thought about the glue, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was just one glue that bound everything together? Wouldn't it be nice if there was one substance that you could buy in one bottle and you knew that wherever you put it, it would do the job of gluing what really would have no ability to be standing or sitting or even being connected would actually bond them together. I've learned that over the years there are some things that are hard to do. For instance, trying to glue plastic to cement is not always easy. Or, or taking ceramic and not only connecting it to each other, to each piece that's been broken, but connecting it to glass. All of those things are very challenging. And as I worked through that this week, I began to think how much like the church that problem is as God has called people from all races and tribes and nations and tongues, that he's called us into being the body of Christ, that thing that the, the world looks at and says that's the church. So often we think of the church as a building, but the Bible says that that building has no life in itself. It's what's inside the building that is the church. It's the people. It's what they are bound together by that brings identification of what it is to be the church. And so as I wrestled over this whole business of glue, I began to ask myself, what is it that glues you to others in the church? Many people seek church because they want friendships. They're lonely. They come to a place where they can hopefully establish a a long-lasting and rewarding relationship. Some people who are single go to church to find a mate. Some of those who have lost loved ones go to church to be comforted by others. What is it that binds you to the church? Maybe it's the fact that it's a historic church like ours and it's uh, in a historic building. And so by being here in this building as you worship, you begin to feel some uh, connection to the generations that have worshiped God before you. But is that the church? 
Or maybe you grew up in a life of a family where going to worship was something that you did every week. And so Sunday by Sunday, it became a habit. You do it out of habitual act activity, not necessarily to be bound to anything, except that it's a memory, it's a tradition. It's something you hold on to as part of an importance in your life. And when you, you don't have that, you miss it, like you miss having breakfast or or you miss going to a certain event or play. But it still begs the question, what is it that binds you to the church? What is it that glues you to that which makes the church distinctive and different? It's as we turn to 1 John this morning that we find that this letter of the other New Testament letters written by Paul and Peter James, the only similarity may be with the book of Hebrews in the beginning of Hebrews as far as a start because the letter, 1 John, doesn't start in the way normal letters do. John begins his letter in a way that just kind of seems abrupt, almost, almost as if he was trying to rush to the whole purpose of his letter from the very beginning. Forget the salutary, forget the, the kindnesses or the niceties of introducing yourself. He immediately moves into the subject. And in that subject, those four verses we read in the Greek are one sentence, they're not four. And so it's no surprise then that those who have wrestled with this text and those who have read it and reread it, even in English, find it challenging to understand because John is writing something uniquely different, not just in the style of the letter, but in the substance of what he's communicating. And so in that substance this morning, when he writes to you, he says, I want you to understand something very important. And he gives four descriptions of what it is that he is leading to. They are objects of the subject. They describe where he's going. He says, first of all, that that which was from the beginning. And when you read that word, you immediately begin to think of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where John penned the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And if you know your Bible well, you might even also remember going back to Genesis chapter 1, where we are told from the very first words of the opening of the Bible that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when we look at that word, it, that, that which was from the beginning, we, we understand immediately that John is referring back to those earlier moments where he has tried to describe the work of God and the power of God and the, the prestige of God and what he is and what he's done. But he won't stop there. It's not just that it was in the beginning, but we have seen it. We have beheld it and we have touched it. Well, what is it that he's talking about? What is it that he's seen and heard and touched? Not just something that was from the beginning, but something that he has beheld himself personally. Not some historical fiction or historical lore or narrative. It is something of a message that he has recognized that was from the beginning of creation, but now it has been before him in experiencing it. 
He has come to know it personally. He has come to understand its power, its prestige, its purpose in his life. Interestingly enough, in the NIV, which we read, we go immediately to the subject after he describes this, and he says, this we proclaim, which is the word of life. If you look at the Greek text, that phrase doesn't come till the end of chapter 1, verse 4. It is the end of the sentence in the Greek. Scholars have debated this for, for tens of hundreds, tens of years. They have, for decades, they have really kind of worked through what is John trying to describe for us? What is he wanting us to see? Well, the answer is that very clearly that he wants you and I to begin to think about what it is that brings life to our mortal bodies and life to our lives in this world. He says the word of life appeared. Now, how does a word appear? And what is this word of life? First, he gives us the parameters of what it is, the glue that holds the church together. He says, again, we have seen it, we have testified to it, and now we proclaim the eternal life. Who, who or what is he talking about? And the answer is he's talking about Jesus. Why does he do this? Because there are many men and women in the days that John was writing this letter that thought of Jesus as only a man. And John is writing to remind us that he is more than a man. He is God in the flesh. I don't know how you think of Jesus. I don't know how you perceive him. But in John's communication to us, he is speaking not of someone who physically was standing before John as a man. He's speaking of the very essence of God in the flesh. That this word of life, this eternal one, the one who has divinity, the one who was with the Father from the beginning, has now appeared. And he's appeared to us, the disciples. And for that reason, John goes on to say, therefore we proclaim, who? Jesus. Well, why would this be so important? Well, when you think of the term life, many people think life is made up of possessions or prestige or position or power. John is reminding us that life is a gift of God. That God is the one who created life. He gives life. He is life. Because God is the one who created you and he's given you life. To know what life is, you must know who he is, the life giver. And there's the problem. You see, when we are born into this world, we don't know who God is. Therefore, we don't know who we are and why we are created. And John goes on to point out that when we come to know the one who is the word of life, then we begin to understand some deeper truth of our existence. And that deeper truth is that we were created 
to love God. And the problem is we don't. And that is why the word of life appeared. He appeared to we, us, to those like us, who were once far from the hand of God. He goes on to say that we have proclaimed that we have fellowship. That word koinonia in the Greek is a loose word. It's a very difficult word to translate into English. Uh, it could be something akin to a partner who decides to go in business with another person and they partner in creating a, a service or, or a way of serving the community through, a, through an activity. And so they start a business together as a partnership. But even then, that word does not describe partnership, does not describe the word kononia. It, it goes much deeper than that. You, you could think of a marriage, and in that way you would think, well, these are husband and wife, and therefore they are, they are deeper than partners. They are bound to each other by a sacredness, the sacredness or the sacrament of marriage. But even then, kononia doesn't go and doesn't do justice to that kind of thought. No, koinonia speaks about sharing something common with others that is not physical. It speaks of a life that comes from God. When you go back to the book of Acts and you begin to study how the Holy Spirit descended upon those who first believed in Jesus, it said they had everything in common together. What does that mean? Well, it didn't mean just that they shared physical things. It was that they had come to an understanding of who Christ is in such a measure that it shaped their entire life. It became the focus of their life. It became the very essence of how they treated one another. It became the glue of their community. It is for that reason that John says, and we proclaim this Jesus to you because first, through Jesus, we have fellowship with each other. If you take the church and you remove Jesus, you only have a group of people who come to an organizational meeting. But if you take those same people and infuse in them the life of Christ, you suddenly have a people who are bound together as more than just a family. They are, they are little Christians, little Christ, who live together serving, loving, and worshiping God as a unity of people with a purpose and a power and a direction. And so when you and I begin to think of this fellowship that we're invited to, this is the glue that holds the church together. It is that we are born of God. We are born in the life of Christ. And therefore, he goes on to say, we proclaim this Jesus to you because through him, you not only are bound to one another, you are also bound to the Father. You are united with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And he says thirdly, or I should say lastly, that we proclaim not only that we have fellowship, he says we do this proclamation because we know that through it, our joy will be complete. That's what he writes in verse 4. He says, I write this to make our joy complete. In other words, life wouldn't be complete if we didn't share the life of Christ together. And so in that vein, John is writing to us about what it is to be a Christian. It is not having your name on a roll of a church. 
It is not coming to Sunday worship and singing a hymn and praying a prayer and going home. It is not even reading a Bible and studying it. It is not even praying. It is much more than that. It is being spiritually bound to other people and sharing the life of Christ together. And so for a Christian, what makes them Christians is that they are now born of Christ and they now live for Christ and they are devoted to follow Christ because Christ is both Lord and King. What does this mean for you in our church? Well, if you're coming to church and you're just coming to attend a church, you're not really part of the life of Christ. Jesus talks about this discipleship, this coming to him, that we would love and obey him in such ways that it would affect how we treat others, how we would live with others, how we would enjoy life. And so as we go through this study, what we're going to discover is the falsities that are there in the Christian walk where we we measure our Christian life based upon things that we do. And what John is teaching us is that the basis of our life, the measurement of the Christian is not in what they do, but it is who they know and who they walk with. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, if, if the glue of the church is Jesus, then don't allow me to worship the Jesus of my imagination or the Jesus of my proclivity or the Jesus that makes me feel a certain way. If the glue of the church is the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is now both Lord and Savior, then, O oh God, begin to work in my heart to understand this calling that he has placed upon me and upon those who proclaim him. I want to understand more fully what it means to have fellowship. Not a fellowship supper, a fellowship with God. And in fellowshipping with my Father in heaven, that I may have unity and be united with others like me who desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This will not be easy. It will mean self-denial. It will mean a change of attitude. It will mean, oh God, I will have to adjust my life to Jesus and not ask Jesus to adjust his life to me. And so because of that, my prayer this morning is, oh God, in the way that John knew you by how he saw you with his eyes and beheld the glory of who you are as Savior and touched you with his hands, we now understand that that same Jesus, that same person offers us the same opportunity even today. May we know you 
and the power of your resurrection. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. The people of God said together, Amen. <laughs>